we begin today uh, with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the good news that we're going to read about here in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, we celebrate the fact that one day you're going to make everything new. And we ask you, Lord, to just speak to us again through our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 20, as you may remember, we read how the heavens and the earth fled away from Christ at his very presence. The moment he showed up, they fled away. And then we read about this judgment that's going to take place. And really, the, the whole judgment is a judgment against heaven and earth, but also against the devil, against the false prophet, against the Antichrist. And then you see the judgment that takes place against those who don't know Christ, those who are condemned in their sin. And this is kind of the wiping away of the old, but when we get to chapter 21, we read about the beginning of something new. Now, presently, we know that the earth is groaning, waiting for this day. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23. He said, for creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We've talked about the fact that a curse came upon all of creation because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now we read that all of creation is waiting for the day when we're going to get our new body. And things are going to be made new, and then suddenly there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. And it's almost like God is starting over. And so we read in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband." Notice that this is not a, a, a heaven and earth that's just being fixed. It's not just a repackaged heaven and earth. It is a brand new one. The first heaven and earth, it says, have passed away. They have disappeared. They have ceased to exist. And so God is beginning with something wonderful, something new. And I would suggest it's going to be something much more wonderful than even the Garden of Eden and all that God did at the beginning of creation. The text also indicates that the sea will no longer exist. Now, I've read this in the past and been a little bothered by it, mostly because I like the sea. I like going to the sea and seeing it. This text does not indicate, though, that there won't be large bodies of water anymore. I think what it is an indication of, though, is that the oceans of the world are what separate us. Even back in Genesis with creation, we read how God separated the waters from the lands. And in the Bible, these huge bodies of water, these oceans represent the separation of humanity. And so what I see in this new world that we're going to live in, and by the way, heaven, I think this is what we're really talking about with heaven. 
It's really a new earth. We think of heaven as being up in the sky someplace, but it's this new earth. And I think it's going to be a place where we're no longer going to be separated by these oceans, which in the current world in which we live separate all the continents, separate us from all of humanity. Peter, again, talked about this new heaven and new earth in 2 Peter 3.13. He said, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now, John saw a city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and it's absolutely beautiful. He described it as being like a bride adorned for her heaven, or, or adorned for her husband. Continuing in verse three, we read, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Of course, this was God's desire all along. You remember that when Israel in the Old Testament was standing at Mount Sinai, how God wanted to enter into a covenant with them. And he said, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. Let's make this agreement together. And I mentioned also the fact that, that this agreement resembled the Jewish marriage ceremony, the way the weddings were set up in, in biblical times. And so God was basically saying, I want to marry you. Hence, I think we get this illustration of, of uh, God coming to dwell in this Jerusalem, kind of like a bride adorned for her husband. But let's read what this is going to be like, what this eternity is going to be like as the new Jerusalem comes down. In verse four, we read, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist because the previous things have passed away, which is just wonderful. Death is gone. Tears are gone. Pain doesn't exist. I look forward to that. All the previous things are gone. Now, these were prophesied again in both the Old and New Testaments, in Isaiah 25 and verse 8, we read, he will destroy death forever. The Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and will remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. Now in Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, we read about a multitude of people that appeared in heaven suddenly. And I told you from those, when we were in Revelation chapter 7, that I thought that was the rapture. Some of these same qualities, though, are mentioned at that point because I think we're going to get our new body at that point. In Revelation 7, 16 and 17, we read, they will no longer hunger, they will no longer thirst, the sun will no longer strike them, nor will any heat, for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let's go back to Revelation 21, beginning in verse five. It says, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. These, of course, are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He goes on to say, I'm the beginning and the end. Everything started with Christ at creation. Everything is going to end with Christ in this new creation. I will, he says, give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. 
Now, I don't know if this water that's referred to here is talking about a spiritual water, like when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and he said, those who drink from the water I give them will well up within them springs of living water. This could be a, a living water or it could be a physical water because we do read about water as we get into this, this new Jerusalem in the next chapter. In either case, Christ is the one who's gonna quench our spiritual thirst. And so Jesus said, I give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. Verse seven, the victor will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Then continuing in verse eight. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the group that was mentioned in the end of the previous chapter. Now, these verses are kind of scary for us because in this list of the people that will not take part in what we're reading about here, it lists things like the cowardly, and it lists people that are sexually immoral. Well, who hasn't been sexually immoral, at least in his or her thoughts? And it says, all oh, liars. And we think, well, who hasn't lied on occasion? And so I think some have read this verse and they think, well, that's me. But I think that what's listed here in 21 and verse eight, these, this is describing people whose lives are characterized by these things. It's describing, for example, people who don't just lie or haven't just lied, but these are ones whose lives are characterized by lying. Kind of like Jesus, or I'm sorry, kind of like Satan was. Remember how Jesus said about Satan that when he speaks, he speaks out of his own nature because he's a liar. So when, Jesus, or when Satan speaks, uh, he's speaking lies because that's his very nature, kind of like a dog. It's, its nature is to bark. Satan's nature, when he speaks, is always to lie. Over the years, I've run into people that I think are ones I would describe as liars. I have someone in mind, for example, that attended my dad's church, and this person was someone I would describe as, as being a liar. She lied so much that she tended to believe her lies, and in time, because of her lies, she actually ended up in prison for killing her husband, and I think this was her nature to lie, and so there are people whose lives are characterized by these things. A tree again is known by its fruit. But I don't think this is describing people who as Christians maybe have lied before because really when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. Even now, as I'm living in this life, when God sees me, he sees me as one who's taken on the righteousness of Christ. He does not see me as a liar. Let's continue reading, though, about this new Jerusalem, this city that's gonna come down from heaven. Beginning in verse nine, it says, then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke to me. Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. 
The city wall had 12 foundations and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles were on the foundations. Now this city is absolutely amazing. It's a massive high wall related to this city. It has 12 gates. The names of the 12 children of Israel are listed on these gates. Standing at the gates are angels. The city also has 12 foundations, one foundation for each of the 12 apostles. And we'll get into greater description here. Now, what might be confusing for us here at this point is that earlier I referred to the fact that we are called the bride of Christ. And yet, we read here that this city is called a bride of Christ. Which is it? Well, let's look at Revelation 19, 6 through 8 again, where we read about us being described as the bride of Christ. It says in verse 7, let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has uh, prepared herself She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And so I think we're the bride of Christ, but this city is also described as being a bride. I think both are true, but it's a different kind of bride. And why is it referred to as a bride? I think it is because it's beautiful, it is glorious in appearance, and we've been waiting so long for this city to present itself, this, this image that God had all along of dwelling with his people in a city like this. And so it's the kind of thing that when the city appears, I think it'll just take our breath away. I think of this when I think of Karen, when I saw her at our wedding, and I'm not the crying type, but the moment I saw her at, at the head of that aisle there, I almost broke down crying. She was so beautiful, and this city is described in in such a glory. Something also to remember, by the way, is that God's heart has always been toward Jerusalem. We read in the Old Testament how God decided that he would make Jerusalem the heart of his affection forever and ever, and that's what I think is happening here. A new city is coming down from heaven, a heavenly city. And this might have also been what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 14, verses one through four, where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You may know the way to where I'm going, which is through Christ. I think this is what Jesus has been doing. He's been been building this city. He's been part of the construction of this thing and the Father's preparing it as well. So let's look at the description of this city and it'll absolutely blow your mind when you see the description. Beginning in verse 15, we read, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. One of my sources indicates the measuring uh, rod was 10 feet long. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. So it's a square in that sense. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, width and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurement, which the angel used. 
The building material of its wall was jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. Now, we read here that the length, the width, and the height of this city are 12,000 stadia. My Bible study indicates that this equals 1,400 miles. This is something that's just hard for us to understand. I can understand a city that is maybe 1,400 miles long and wide, but this describes a city that is also 1,400 miles tall. We learn that its walls are 216 feet thick and they're made of solid jasper. This is something I don't think we can hardly grasp. And one interesting thing is something that Dr. Walvert from Dallas Theological Seminary has, has said. He writes, commentators differ as to whether the city is a cube or a pyramid. The descriptions seem to fa favor the pyramid form. So I don't know if this is true or not, but you realize this is gonna be some amazing city. Now there's gonna be other things outside the city, but this is this, this main city and I think we're gonna be able to live in this city. The city itself, by the way, is also, it's described as being pure gold-like glass. It's gonna be like so pure, you're gonna see through it. And I don't, again, I don't think we can understand. John is trying to describe what he's seeing the best he can. Let's keep reading in verse 19. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardinox. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysophrase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. Now, we don't know exactly the identity of some of these, and we don't know which apostle represents which stone, but you do get a, a, this image of this amazing and glorify, uh, glorified city that's so incredible. Continuing in verse 21, we read about the gates of the city. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl, the broad street, which is also the public square, it can be described as that of the city, was pure gold like transparent glass. And of course, these gates that are made of a single pearl, I don't understand that, represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And this whole city, because you look at, at the gates representing the Old Testament and the foundation representing the apostles, you realize all of this is a picture of God's eternal plan to dwell among people through the Old and New Testament, through the children of Israel and through the New Testament church. Continuing verse 22, we read, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. You don't need a special temple, they are there. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. Of course, he was the light of the world. The nation will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. This is why I said earlier that there are gonna be people living outside the city. There will be other kings out there and they're gonna bring glory or wonderful gifts into it. Verse 25, each day its gates will never close because it'll never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing, will prof nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life, which is us. 
And so again, I find this interesting, this idea that there'll be other kings out there and they are believers because the only people that can come into this city and enter this city are gonna be people whose names are in the book of life. Isaiah again talked about this in Isaiah 16, verse three. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your radiance. And then in verses 11 and 12, we note once again, the gates will always be open. They'll never be shut day or night so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you and their kings being led in procession. This again is from, I'm sorry, from Isaiah chapter 11 where kings are gonna bring in all the glory, all the wonderful things of the rest of the world, whatever that's gonna involve. Now, we're gonna stop here and pick up the final description of, of all of this in chapter 22 and wrap up the book of Revelation. But I wanna mention here that when, when we do this, uh, the next time I meet, I'd like to give an opportunity or spend some time answering any questions you may have. And so if you wanna submit questions, I wanna close the final session with those uh, answers to those questions. And you can submit those questions to ask at the ridge.church. Ask at the ridge.church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious picture. We can't even begin to grasp what it's gonna be like, but we celebrate it. And thank you again that your son, Jesus, is the light of the world and, and we're so grateful that we get to share in this amazing thing. We thank you for it and bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.